0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Hannah Selector, the co-host of the Castle Rock Historical Society podcast and the co-host of the YouTube series, Real Horror. Hannah, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me.
0: I have already complimented you on your fabulous uh, pink headphones, so uh, I will not draw any more attention to just like the spectacular setup that you've got in your recording space, but I'm excited. Uh, and I think, I hope that there's elements of horror throughout today's episode. I've tried to keep an eye towards the macabre wherever possible. And, uh, I
1: felt some good, good.
0: I'm really, really glad to hear that. Uh, but thank you so much. I hope you, I guess I, maybe I, I hope that you bring us some horrifying advice or sound advice in horrifying situations. Either one sounds good to me, honestly.
1: Yeah, I will try to be the uh, Vincent Price calm in the (laughs) ensuing horror. I
0: would love to hear Vincent Price's advice, which I feel like would mostly have to do with like getting really nice upscale dressing gowns um, and avoiding unpleasantness. Would you uh, be so good as to read our first letter?
1: Absolutely. Subject, I thought I was over it. Dear Prudence, Three years ago, my sister-in-law Ellie had postpartum psychosis and made an, in retrospect, fairly risible attempt to kill me. She thought I was some sort of evil doppelganger at the time, and she just made me look at myself in the mirror. She believed that this would kill me. Ellie received treatment and is doing much better now. My in-laws dealt with the whole thing by joking about it, which is typical for them. It was in poor taste, but it seemed to reassure Ellie that no one held her illness against her. I know I wasn't in actual danger from the mirror, but I was very frightened. She was quite violent at the time, and I didn't know whether she'd try something else. I know that's not her fault, but I still had nightmares for a long time. I thought I'd gotten over it, but recently our shelter-in-place orders have been lifted, and we went to a small family get-together last week. I was so frightened when I saw her that I felt sick. I told everyone I'd gotten food poisoning and left. I don't understand why this suddenly bothers me again, and I don't know how to fix it. My husband thinks I'm just stir crazy and that it will pass. And he doesn't want to upset Ellie by bringing up the past again. Neither do I. I know that Ellie didn't mean to hurt me, but I can't make myself believe it either. What do I do?
0: Not loving the husband's response. I don't- Nor I. Yeah, I, I don't love it whenever someone's response to their partner dealing with like a, a past traumatic event is like, oh, you've just been cooped up too long and it's going to go away soon. Like that. That strikes me as pretty dismissive. Don't love it.
1: It is very, it was a brush off for sure. And it didn't seem to really acknowledge it, the idea of like, this will pass. Well, that's true. Everything will, but sometimes you have to do something in order to make that. So I totally feel for this letter writer and I feel like she's trying to like repress how much it bothered her because she feels like she's not allowed to be bothered because psychosis is obviously not the fault of the person suffering that psychotic episode. But right. it it is absolutely okay for you to feel afraid or traumatized. That is something very frightening.
0: I had the same read there. It seemed really clear to me that the letter writer was not trying to like further stigmatize Ellie for suffering from postpartum psychosis or wanted to dismiss her or only think about her in terms of that episode or her experience with mental illness. Like the letter writer is super clear on I don't hold Ellie personally responsible for her behavior when she was, you know, suffering from an untreated psychosis. So if you can relieve yourself, letter writer, to whatever extent you can of that guilt, I hope that you do because it's very, very clear to me that that's not what you're trying to do. Um, Absolutely. and, And so just by saying both, it's true that she was not well at the time and she got treatment and got better and that's really good, but that doesn't mean it's your job to never mention it or only joke about it or pretend that it never happened. Like You can say, you don't have to say it to Ellie if you don't feel ready to, but you are allowed to say, even though she wasn't in full control of what she was doing at the time, it still frightened and upset me and for good reason.
1: Yeah. And if you're finding that your husband, which it sounds like, is is not the sounding board that you're hoping for for those feelings, I in in thinking about coming on the show, had wondered how many times I would say this, but I, I think counseling is an excellent idea mm-hmm. in this case. Um, yeah. This is exactly what therapists are for, and just personally cannot recommend therapy enough, that, you know, this is going to be a third party who has no connection to Ellie as a family member, who can listen to the way that you're feeling and offer you know, concrete strategies for how to deal with that. My other thought was that it seems like the family copes with humor and that's fine. We all have different ways of dealing with things. But if you have a good relationship with Ellie, it it wasn't clear to me if it had ever been addressed between the two of you. Not everyone has like a very close relationship with their sister-in-law necessarily. Right. But if you, love, if you love one another, I, I don't think it would be harmful to say, to Ellie, you know, um, I love you, but this event really scared me, and I just, I just wanted to, you know, say that this was difficult for me, not only to see you suffer, but to to be, you know, the target of a particular delusion that you had. And um, I'm so happy you're better, and I'm I'm working on dealing with my own anxiety about it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm right with you there, and I think set aside the question of whether or not you want to talk to Ellie about this until after you've gotten some more support in your corner, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it sounds like the nightmares were something that you maybe had to deal with on your own. I feel like the letter writer probably would have mentioned therapy at that point if she had sought it. Uh, And I think finding a therapist who specifically specializes in dealing with, you don't have to call it PTSD or say you need a PTSD diagnosis in order to like seek somebody out who specifically helps treat people dealing with recurring nightmares or anxiety attacks after an upsetting event. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I definitely want that for you. I mean, ideally, you would be able to talk to your husband about it again later and say, uh, it's not because we've been cooped up because of COVID. You don't have to agree with me, but uh, I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell me that I feel things for reasons other than the reasons I'm telling you. Like, let's not do that to one another. Um, mm-hmm. and then to just kind of figure out what do you need right now? Is it to just avoid family get togethers for a little while? Because frankly, even if the shelter in place orders have been temporarily lifted, you still have, I think, pretty legitimate health concerns for saying I'm not up for all of those or or I'm not prepared. So if you just need to make a couple of excuses while you get help for yourself, make those excuses. And if anyone gives you a hard time, give yourself permission to ignore them, which I know is easier said than done when you have in-laws who like to make jokes and not talk about like it's one thing if you make jokes and also talk about serious things but if it's like no 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 we either joke or we say nothing and the best way that you can deal with an upsetting or violent or traumatic episode in the past is by never bringing it up again you don't have to sign on for that that's not a great strategy i think
1: absolutely not stomach ulcers are very painful so yeah. don't don't do that and you you're very sweet don't feel guilty about feeling afraid or feeling upset. That is not a referendum on Ellie personally or anything like that. You are absolutely entitled to those feelings. It it sounded very frightening to me yeah. when yeah. I read that.
0: That whole thing about, I don't understand why this suddenly bothers me again. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. You hadn't seen her in a while.
1: And it sounds like it never stopped bothering you, the nightmares and the, it—it. It, you know, yeah. maybe you were just able to push it to the back of your mind a little better when you weren't visually in Her presence.
0: Right, right. I don't think, and that's not to say like you didn't get better at all. Like nothing that you did in the meantime was helpful. I don't mean that. I just mean, um, I I don't think you ever really got the chance to prioritize with anyone how you felt about it. Everyone was like, no, no, no. It's only about Ellie. And like she, she has a, I'm glad she's getting support. I want that support. I don't think you should try to take any of it away from her. And you're clearly not trying to. I just, I want you to go to someone who doesn't know Ellie, who's not involved in Ellie's well being and who says, my focus here is on you. And it bothered you because even though the moment itself was kind of absurd and, and obviously didn't involve physical violence, you say she was otherwise violent at the time and she wasn't receiving treatment and she had a break with reality. That's very scary. And it doesn't mean she's evil. It doesn't mean she's bad. It doesn't mean she's only her mental illness. It just means that you were scared and you had reason to be and you're having trouble coping with it now. And that makes sense. You may or may not be able to talk about it with Ellie in the future. But before you make any decision there, I think getting your own therapist and finding a way to talk about and process this with someone who's not trying to um, calm you down, quote unquote, is going to be the best way forward. And I'd love to hear back from you. I hope you can write back and let us know if you're able to find someone, even if you have to see each other remotely. I'd love to know how helpful any of that might prove for you. And um, I just wish you a lot of
1: luck. Absolutely. Your comfort and safety are important. You're important. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it doesn't hurt Ellie for you to think about how her behavior affected you. So moving on to a question that is uh, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I Same. think it's m- my turn to to read this. I, I, this is my problem, I think. I need to get more guests who, like, are notoriously punctual because um, I feel like I tend to invite a lot of people on the show who also say like, yes, I am also late to stuff a lot and it's very hard and we don't have great answers for it. Anyways, I'll just go ahead and read it. The subject is, my girlfriend's lateness is killing me. Dear Prudence, my girlfriend of three years is chronically late to everything, whether it's a wedding, a doctor's appointment, or coffee with a friend, she's always 15 to 30 minutes late. She usually overbooks herself without leaving buffer time in her schedule and has real difficulty estimating how long getting ready will take her. I've tried everything to help, trying to teach her how to make a daily schedule, offering reminders when it's time to start getting ready, debriefing after lateness incidents. She's really ashamed and tries to hide it from other people in her life, even though obviously they see when she walks in late. I love her a lot and see a future with her. We're incredibly compatible in every other respect. But this is driving me wild and seems like it may never change. What's the best way to help her? Is there something that I can do to make it bother me less? Is it reasonable to think maybe we'll just take separate cars to everything in our future life together and she'll just get there when she gets there? Do your readers have strategies that have been helpful with people like this in their lives? So you mentioned that you resonate with this, as they say. Are you as late now as you have ever been? Has it changed for you?
1: I am not. I found myself wondering the writer's age. Not that this is necessarily an issue that correlates with age, but it can. Um, mm. I was especially bad about this through my college years, and then I had the deep misfortune of falling in love with and marrying someone who is later than me. So there were some some issues with that as well. Nowadays, I try to <laughs> I, I i do my best. And events like weddings, I will never be late for now. And in my current life, things that are important in that way or dependent on other people's time in a very vital fashion. I I, I do do my best to not be late to those events, but like coffee with a friend or like going to see my parents or whatever, I totally confess to being that gal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I also, you know, the the stuff about um, she has trouble estimating how long getting somewhere is going to take or how Mm -hmm. long it takes to get ready i i share that um part of what was has been hard for me about lateness is even though it's chronic i'm surprised every time um (laughs) every time that i realize i'm running late i'm stunned like i'm just like how could this have happened so whatever you know uh, whatever set of traits that we may share um that makes sense this is part of it for me um
1: Maybe a little insight for the writer that it's possible. I, I find this a lot in people who are late that we have a tendency to be yes men. Like, mm. oh no, I'll be there in whatever amount of minutes. Like, if you're going to be late, try to be honest about that level of lateness. I know it's like difficult to do so because you are disappointing someone and disappointing someone is is the greatest agony that I personally can't suffer. Um, And let's see, I've tried everything to help. I think that's great, but I also think that it is a dead end, that Mm -hmm. it will have to come from within her, this change. A strategy that I have employed in my own life is gross overestimations of how long it will take me to get ready to go to an event. Yeah. And sticking to it, I don't know what overbooking means if that's like official things or like I'm going to go to the bathroom and take my phone in there. And then... I wondered
0: if it was like what you were saying earlier, which was that you want to say yes to everything. So like yeah. every invitation she gets, she says yes. She doesn't actually sit down and think, how long are these things really going to take? And right. then realizes I scheduled three concurrent things today and only magical thinking made me believe that I could get them all done.
1: I have to admit, I chuckled at debriefing after lateness. I imagined like an FBI style whiteboard panel about <laughs> what went wrong here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very sweet. But I think the the letter writer is right in kind of identifying, is there something I can do to make it bother me less? Which not that you should be finding ways to make it bother you left. Like you should be having the feelings that you're feelings, but finding ways where you don't t- try to take on the responsibility of fixing this for her, I think is good. And that doesn't mean like never worry about it again or never be frustrated. But if sometimes that means like calmly ahead of time saying like we're supposed to be here at seven, I'm going to leave at you know, 645. I would love for you to come with me, but I just want you to know right now I'll leave at 645 and it's not going to be because I'm doing it in a fit of peak and I'm mad and I want to punish you. I just want you to know I'm going to be there on time. I hope you can make that happen.
1: Yeah, I absolutely support the separate car strategy and I know plenty of couples who do that. I I don't think there's anything at all wrong with that. I don't think it makes you guys look bad. I think that's great. And I think if that expectation is communicated, not during a time of like crunch, creating acrimony in that tense situation, that it's a great way to just, you know, deal with being different people who happen to be a a unit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that will be helpful. And then, you know, you just, you kind of also have to ask yourself, um, does this seem like something you think you can let go of trying to manage for her? Mm-hmm. Is it something that would really bother you over a life spent together? You know, obviously I hope that there's other compromises you two can arrive at, but I don't want to say either. No, this is just a little thing. Don't worry about it. You know, as Hank Scorpio reminds us, it's the little things that make up life.
1: Yes. We got a Simpsons reference. in there. <laughs>
0: And it's not hard to do. I'm in my thirties. Um,
1: I have a bingo card. So <laughs>
0: good, good. Yeah. Um, so you're, it's allowed to bother you and it's allowed to bother you a lot because even though she may not do it maliciously and you love other things about her, it also affects you every day and you're allowed to be really frustrated with it. You know, oftentimes with this sort of thing, like there, there can be sometimes behind the scenes stuff having to do with like executive dysfunction or ADHD. That's also not always the case. It's not always like, oh, here's the medical condition that explains the lateness and here's the three things you do to fix it. And then all of a sudden you'll be magically punctual. Habits are hard to break and the kind of work that will need to happen here will probably take months and years, not days and weeks. Um, But sometimes with people uh, who are chronically late, you know, for me, one of the biggest turning points was when a really dear friend of mine sat me down and said, I hate this about our friendship. It's disrespectful. It's frustrating. It's not cute. You know, it's not like a whimsical aspect of your personality that I can just brush off. It hurts me every time.
1: Right. So yeah, and I didn't want to assume, but I was going to suggest that if, if you haven't had one of those heart-to-heart talks with her about, this makes me feel like you don't value my time or value the time of the people in our lives or whatever well, it might
0: Not even like this makes me feel, it wastes my time. Like it's an actual thing. It's measurable.
1: It's disrespectful. or And it is, which has been a difficult thing for me to acknowledge in being late because, you know, I don't want to cause people... Pain or discomfort?
0: Right. I never do it because I'm thinking this person's time doesn't matter, but my intentions don't really matter when the effect is I waste someone's time. Exactly. So all of this is just to say there's lots of options, right? Like people think and work about punctuality a ton. There are therapists who deal with it. There are psychologists who talk about various executive function disorders that may be connected to it. There are people who, you know, write books about not procrastinating. She can seek all of them out. If she wants to do that and you think she's really motivated and she wants help, great. Maybe you can help around the edges. But I I agree. I think really all you can do is tell her how much this is affecting you. Let her know when you're not going to wait on her anymore at a moment when you're calm. And then just really kind of take stock of, is this a deal breaker for me? Does she seem like she's actually trying to change and make whatever decision you feel like is the better one for you? Couldn't agree more. It's hard. You know, I always... I, I, I really relate to to the letter writer's girlfriend. And and I, I know sometimes it can be really hard to accept because you'll just have this sense of like, I don't want to disappoint people. I love them. Why can't they just know that I don't actually mean to disrespect them? And you just, you got to make the adjustment to nobody cares how great I feel when I think I know I'm about to leave the house. They care about when I left the house.
1: You know, adulting is hard.
0: <laughs> that but you got to do it. It's, you know, there's no alternative.
1: No, I, I relate to her shame. Yeah. Shame sucks.
0: Yeah. It's it's not always the most productive emotion. Not that we should rank our emotions on in terms of how productive they are, but you know what I mean. All right. Let's move on to a weird dynamic that I can't quite figure out. I've been thinking about this one all day. And I, anyways, it's your turn to read it. So I don't have to think about it anymore.
1: I look forward to our joint bewilderment. Right. Subject, friend hitting on my wife. Dear Prudence, my wife of 12 years recently revealed to me that one of her childhood friends hit on her hard two years ago when they were both drunk one evening at his place. My wife tells me nothing happened and I believe her. She's always been honest with me. My issue is with him. I do not know what I should do with this information. He is still in our lives and he is a very close friend of my wife and we are both friends on Facebook. For the time being, I have unfollowed him and will block my future posts from him, but I don't know what else to do. Should my wife tell him she told me so that he knows that such behavior is unacceptable and that he knows she will tell me about such indiscretions? Then again, that seems like something she would have to do of her own accord. Should I unfriend him? I am at a loss.
0: I think my biggest question here was, what is the, um, what's the word hard doing in that first sentence?
1: Thank you. How does one hit on someone hard?
0: To me, it felt like either a euphemistic way to describe a past that was aggressive Okay. Um, possibly a potential or an actual sexual assault or if it just means he really you know he really has feelings for her he thinks it was
1: gratuitous I yeah, guess. I,
0: yeah I, I couldn't tell if hard meant like just it was a big deal or if it meant there was something frightening about the nature of the pass. and I don't have anything else that, that makes me lead in one direction or the other
1: Yeah. I wanted to assume, perhaps naively or just because I don't want it to have been an assault, that the hard thing was, you know, like drunkenly egregious. But I would like to think that the wife would not still be close with this person if he had sexually assaulted her. You know,
0: sometimes it takes a while to come to terms that a friend could do that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, This is going to make me sound like a, a, a bitter, bitter old, but like, my first advice is just to delete Facebook. Just get off of it. Yeah, if it's it is, making your
0: life harder, you don't need it.
1: I have been off Facebook for six years now, and I I cannot tell you how much, you know, bullshit has been drained from my brain because I am not on there anymore. Uh, but if you're not going to delete Facebook, just unfriend him. Who cares? Um, I If it's upsetting you to see his stuff or that he might see your stuff, just delete it. It's no... Big loss, I don't think. There doesn't seem to be any love lost there. Yeah. I
0: think the real, yeah, the real key here is to talk to your wife again and ask gentle, open-ended questions, making it clear she doesn't have to answer them if she's not up for it. But mm-hmm. but to just really ask, like, when he hit on you, did it feel like, oh, this is uncomfortable because I don't return his feelings and I don't know how to deal with it? Or did it feel uncomfortable because it felt like he was encroaching on you your space or making you feel uncomfortable or pushing it after you told him no? Um mm-hmm and just you know give her time understand that she might need a little while to think about it more and that will hopefully give you a better sense of like how does she feel about it does she feel like honestly it was embarrassing i felt bad for him but ever since then he he seems to have gotten the the no as a no and things seem to be back to normal between us so i feel cool or she might say actually i'm not so sure i do want to be friends with him anymore i just don't really know how to go about that like get a sense from her what she wants because there's a world of difference between I've only now been able to think about how much it really bothered me and we don't talk about it, but that's frustrating for me and I don't trust him in the way that I used to. That will give you, I think, a pretty big hint as opposed to, honestly, I mostly just didn't want to bring it up because I was embarrassed and it's not that big a deal and I feel okay about it and he's behaved great ever since. And then at that point, if you just want to say like, great, It makes me kind of annoyed at him. I'm not going to keep like showing him my posts. You're entitled to do that. That's fine.
1: I appreciate that you interpreted that whole interaction wildly differently than I did. I I don't know what it says about me, but.
0: Well, it's not clear, right? Like the word. Not
1: at all. It's just odd. I just,
0: I think I noticed it because it was an odd intensifier and it made me wonder what it was gesturing towards.
1: Yeah. I guess I pictured sort of like an idle conversation, like, ha ha, Jim. Jim did such and such two years ago spurred by something they saw on a TV show. But yeah, it very well could be that, you know, uh, something did happen. I think that's absolutely correct. Talk to your wife about how she feels about that. And right, or even there.
0: maybe the heart is, is is a descriptive like, this is a childhood friend. Maybe it was hard in the sense of, like, he was like, I've actually been in love with you since we were seven, which would be huge news. So, again, try to get a sense of how much it affected her. Is she bringing it up now because she thinks there's something else that she wants to say or do? Um, and then beyond that, you know, yeah, if you just want to delete your Facebook, if you just want to unfriend him on Facebook, that's totally fine. Just because he's her friend does not mean that you have to be his friend too. Although, unless he's done something that you think is like really, really wrong, you may have to occasionally be polite to him in the future, but you got a lot of options here. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you know, if the issue is you think she should stop being friends with him and she says, I don't want to stop being friends with him, I value our friendship and he took no for an answer, and we let it go, and I want to continue this friendship, then, then the work ahead is is how do you find a way to be okay with that?
1: Yeah. The only thing I would say unequivocally is do not go behind her back and puff out your chest at this friend.
0: Right. Don't like be like, fine, 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 it's over, and then go and be like, I know you hit on her, and I'm coming yeah. for you. That would yeah. not help things.
1: It makes it something about your own ego, and it, it's just not a good idea. You will upset your wife
0: yeah so yeah um, and if if you were like no i have to do that the one thing like my harm reduction advice at that point would be like at least give her a heads up like just let her know like i'm sorry i hear you i get that this is your friend and you don't want me to get involved but i'm just so upset i'm going to need to say something to him and i'm telling you so that you're not surprised by it and so we can have a fight about it
1: yeah I so wish there had been more context to this one. I was, I was really, really kind of flailing in, in, in an empty space about what the details are, which is, I know the letters have to be brief, but yeah, if you, if you write Danny with, with more specific stuff, I hope I hear about it because it it would maybe change my answer.
0: Right. And it's hard. I, I I know I could have possibly been reading way too much in the intensifier hard. It's, it's just that it was sort of the one thing that stood out to me in this letter, and so it made me think like there's like three different types of reactions that mm-hmm. I might want to advise you to take, and
1: um, I might interact too regularly with straight men because yeah, I was just like, what about this is real in terms, and what about it is like the anyway,
0: yeah, I- you don't have to apologize for hanging out with straight guys.
1: <laughs> if you no, you like don't. These straight
0: guys, you should hang out with them all the time. They, I bet they're nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That reaction is something I am familiar with, though.
0: Sure, sure. <laughs> so. All right. This next one's a little bit heavier. It's my turn to read it. And yes. I mostly just really, really want to give this letter writer a lot of permission to be as gentle with herself as she can. Um, hopefully we can do that. I'll get started. The subject is, do I tell them or take it to my grave? Dear Prudence, I'm divorced, although I have subsequently remarried. I have two adult sons for my first marriage. My ex-husband left me for his mistress when my sons were seven and three. His visits were infrequent, and his child support payments erratic, but we coped, and I'm very proud of how my sons turned out. They see their father occasionally and are friendly with their half-sisters. They love him but seem pretty clear-eyed about his shortcomings as a parent, and my relationship with both of them is good. While we haven't talked much about their father's many affairs, I haven't tried to keep secrets for him either. What I have kept secret is that their father wanted to have another child and I was in my first trimester and had left my job when he walked out on me. I decided to terminate the pregnancy. I believed it was the right decision, but it nearly destroyed me. I was so traumatized that I had to be sedated in the recovery room. I work in maternal health and had to beg to get my job back, where I worked with pregnant women every day. Only remembering my sons needed me helped me to keep it together. Even 20 years later, I get teary remembering that time in my life. My ex's family members know as well as some other people who also know my sons. It's possible my sons could find out about my abortion from someone else, although I think it's unlikely. They're healthy adults now. Do they have a right to know? They seem to feel that I may be unreasonable in my feelings towards him, even though I've never expressed more than mild disapproval of my ex. I know it's important for even adult children to have relationships with both parents, but this is an important piece of their own history. I've never been able to assure myself that they should know, but I feel that keeping the secret is a form of lying about their family and its history. And this doesn't even begin to account for the trauma and agony it cost me and through my struggles to keep it all together to them. Do I tell them or take it to my grave?
1: Oh, letter writer i I can feel your grief yeah. i I'm very sorry. I, this has clearly something that has has haunted you, and i'm I'm sorry you feel so haunted by that me too. Everything um,
0: about that period of your life sounds traumatic. then to feel like I have no choice but to just swallow this and hold on and and move forward for the sake of my kids is that that compounds a lot of the pain
1: yeah, what a very tough thing to have to do um i'm I'm very sorry there there's so much here yeah. i you know.
0: I think for me, that my main priority is I don't want you to think of this in terms of what you owe your sons. Yes. To me, what's clear in this letter is that you need an outlet to talk about this.
1: Yeah. I was hesitant to say, like, don't tell them because I don't want to tell this letter writer what to do. If
0: you decide to tell them, it's not because you owe them this information. It's because you decide you want to talk to your now adult kids about something that's intense and traumatic. Because you want them to know you better and to understand a little bit more about what you have been through. And if you decide to do that, I want you to have a lot of additional support already in your corner. I don't want you to do this tomorrow because the place that you're at right now seems really, really vulnerable. And if they were to respond with confusion or bewilderment or just imperfectly, as people often do when they first hear something they didn't know about, I worry about how that would hurt you. So, I think your first move is write about this as much as you can, just in a journal. I don't mean like for a general audience, write about what it has felt like, what it feels like to remember it now. If you have friends who already know about it and you want to talk about it with them, do that. Definitely seek out a therapist because part of what you're talking about is like, I've got 20 years of keeping a pretty tight lid on trauma and agony. And that that is so much to bear alone. I don't want you to bear it alone.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the highest priority in my answer is that you need to take care of yourself in this way, that this is is something that is clearly a burden on you, and you don't need to shoulder that on your own, um, or to repress it, or to what have you with it. Um, it and you don't have to share it either. I, I don't, if it is something that is a, Feels like a painful obligation to you. You, I want you to release that burden from yourself. I don't necessary. You don't have to think of it as a part of your son's history or or a guilty thing that needs to be shared in that way. Um, but I, I don't want you to to divide up all of these different ways to feel guilty and and sad about this experience. This is your history. Yeah. This is something that that has affected you and your life and, and has broken your heart clearly. And you need to heal that. Yeah. I think it would absolutely be fine to share that with your adult sons, especially if the topic were to come up organically or, or, you know, if they were to have a partner or something who, you know, was affected by that, but you don't have to tell them but you can certainly feel free to, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you, you have the right to talk about your abortion mm-hmm. now that your kids are grown. But I, I think that the real urgency here is you need to talk about this with someone. And I think the first person you've talked about it with, I mean, I know some people know, but like, it doesn't sound like a lot of people know just how hard it was for you because you weren't really able to say it because you had to just like clamp down so tightly so that you could get through the day. Um, so I, I think if you want to talk to your sons about it, give yourself a few months to talk about it with a therapist first, give yourself the time there to, you know, you're no longer in that place. You know, you don't have to keep going to that same job every day because you have little kids at home who need you to bring home money. Um, you, you have now the time and distance to break down a little bit if you want to. And, you know, I don't say that lightly or like, just go have a great time, like, opening up this old wound, but I think there's ways in which it will feel really good to acknowledge the hurt that you know is already there. Yeah. So once you've done that and you know like where you're getting support from, you've found a good therapist who's useful to you, whose approach helps you, um, then you can start thinking about whether or not you want to talk about this with other people in your life, including your kids. But again, I think at that point, your goal should be more like, I want my kids to know something more about a time in my life when they were kids and I couldn't have told them and not, I want my kids to understand why I don't like their dad, especially because you say only like, I think they seem to not understand why I dislike him. And so it's not like your kids are saying to you, you're always complaining about him and I wish you would stop. I think maybe some of that. Not that you're making it up, but it, it, it may not be that they feel as strongly about it as you fear they do. And so I think if you were to say this with the hope that they would say, wow, our dad's the worst. And if you didn't get that response, that might be really painful. And I want to help you avoid additional unnecessary pain.
1: Whatever they're aware of in terms of how their father behaved or contributed to the breakdown of the marriage, he's still their dad. People have a hard time not, you know loving your parents regardless of that thing. And it and it's not, it doesn't reflect poorly on you that they still f- feel positively about him or, or don't right. know every bad thing that he did. And, and I
0: think that can be a really helpful thing with therapy too, because of course with your kids, you've spent the last 20 some odd years being the bigger person and trying to curb your tongue when you talk about this guy who walked out on you and was essentially a deadbeat dad. And like, I get that. I value that. I think you've, done the right thing in speaking moderately about him and in letting your kids develop their own relationship to him. I think that was the right move. I also really want you to be able to go to a therapist where you can fucking rage about him and just say, there's a part of me that doesn't want my kids to have a good relationship with him. I hate him. He hurt me. He was not a good father to the kids. And to just say all the things that aren't like, I'm being the good mom right now. I'm I'm saying the reasonable, calm thing. And not because I want you to then go on a rampage and like try to make his life hell, but because I think you have not given yourself room to express some of the anger, abandonment, grief, agony that you clearly have just been yeah. carrying around for years. And I want you to be able to sometimes put down the, you know, um, I don't want to call it like a stiff upper lip routine because you've clearly also been very emotionally present but like you haven't given yourself permission to be mad.
1: Yeah, the weather has warmed enough that you no longer need to set yourself on fire to keep them warm. It right. is time to feel some feelings. You you deserve to feel those feelings.
0: Yeah, I want you to account for that trauma.
1: Absolutely. It is a loss. And and that has clearly affected you greatly, and very understandably so.
0: And I'm so sorry. That must have been just an unbelievably painful and difficult decision to go from my husband and I are trying to make things work, we're gonna have another kid, to he's gone and he's not picking up the phone and he's not yeah. sending checks.
1: What a difficult weight to carry alone. Yeah.
0: So I, I just I hope if you're able to seek out this help that you'll write us back in like six months, let us know how therapies have been going, let us know how you're feeling, let us know whether or not you're still considering talking to your kids, I would love to hear back from you.
1: Congratulations on the two adult sons. It sounds like you did a wonderful job.
0: Yeah, they sound like great kids. All right, this last one is is a little bit like almost a a prequel to the last question, where it sort of feels like someone's in a position to maybe bring that situation about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. I think it's your turn.
1: Subject, should I tell the other jilted partner before they have a baby? Dear Prudence, last month I learned that my now ex had an affair with a colleague who was also in a committed relationship. They got quite serious and considered leaving their partners to be together. But around the time that I found out, the other party decided to make their relationship work and try to have a child together. I haven't spoken to this person's partner because I just want to move on, but I could probably find their contact information pretty quickly and feel somewhat guilty. Is it fair to withhold information that might make them reconsider a big decision like having a baby together? After all, finding out about the affair made me re-examine and end my relationship. I'm glad we don't have kids that will get caught up in divorce and custody disputes. Do I have an obligation to make sure the other partner knows the truth?
0: A lot of questions about obligation today. Do you see this as a situation of obligation? Do you see it more as you have information you didn't ask for? This is not a situation you created. You have options. What's your
1: I reading? Do, I do not see it as a situation of obligation. I would encourage you to think about whether you wish to share this information like I it's not your sister, you know, it's someone you are not connected to in, in a close, loving way. I just would urge you to consider whether you're trying to unburden yourself of guilt or whether you might have a slight inclination to blow this up. Um not not that I think you do. I just don't think it needs to be said. And there's no way of knowing. Perhaps their partner already knows if they're trying to make the relationship work. I I do not think this is your place. Right. Um, And I do not think you need to feel like you are withholding information because you do not know these people, you know? Right.
0: In a, it, in a it's always harder way. when it's a stranger. Like if it's someone you know, even if it's someone you only know somewhat, you yeah. sometimes have a real sense of, you know, I I think I know what they would want in this situation, or I can make an educated guess. But with a stranger, there really is, like, they might already know. They might have an open marriage. They might have not had an open marriage, and then they had a big fight, and now they have a bad open marriage. Or, like, maybe, you know, maybe they've already found out. Maybe they kind of know something, but don't know what they know. It's
1: Maybe the affair came to an end because it was found out, and they've since gotten counseling and are now trying to have a baby because the relationship has, you know, been repaired in that way. I, you can't say, neither can I. I, I do not think you should try to seek this person out, um, especially since you don't actually already have the contact information, right? I, I read right. that you could get it.
0: Right. I, I mean, I, I want to, I, for my part, I think, I think this letter writer can. I think they can consider it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does, I think, make a difference if they're able to say, like, I know that for me, Uh, as much as it hurt, I'm glad I knew because it enabled me to make a decision I would not have otherwise made. So, you know, assuming you're willing to kind of live with, I may not be able to find this person's contact information. They may kind of shoot the messenger as people sometimes do when they hear bad news. They may have already known. They may not, you know, I might not get the sort of like first wives club moment out of it that I might have been hoping for. They might ignore it. They might say like, thanks for letting me know. It might just be odd. So if you're prepared for any of those possible reactions and if you feel like, I think I can say it in a way that's not bringing all my hurt into the situation so that I'm like throwing ugly details in their face or like trying to maximally upset them. I'm just saying like, here's the basics that I think you should know. I apologize if uh, you're already aware, but I would want to know in your situation. And in fact, I was in your situation. You can do that. I I, I think yeah. that that is not an un... I I guess if you if you told me I ended up doing it, I would think like okay, good luck. And if you said I decided not to, I would think that makes sense. I hope you can move on.
1: Yeah, and I hope it wasn't unclear that I am very much anti affair. Like I am not condoning no, anyone's I, I, I didn't bad think
0: behavior. You were saying, like this is I, awesome. You should steal yeah, a like, baby no, next.
1: No big, no big deal. I I just don't. I just want to be sure that you are wanting to share this information for not unburdening yourself of your guilt or maybe, you know, throwing out some nasty, like Danny said, no need for details. If I agree, if, if you decided to do it anyway, then the goal would be just plain and simple information.
0: Yep. And then you may never find out if they decide to have a kid together anyway. So again, like only, I think move ahead. If you feel prepared to not know whether or not it worked or, or did any good or, you know, how it might feel if you give them the information, they don't say anything. And then nine months later, you hear they had a kid. Um, Again, which is not necessarily a reason not to do it. It's just something to take into consideration first. And if you don't share this with them because you feel like it would have too many potentially bad outcomes, it is not on you that their partner cheated on them.
1: Yeah. That's not And I just want to throw it out there that the theoretical baby, whether... that was something they were contemplating or not. It wouldn't change my answer. That doesn't make me feel like there is any stronger obligation on your part because it is a, a theoretical thing that yeah, may not, not even a baby. be. Yeah, it, it's not. There are children involved, or any. It's like they've decided to try to have a baby, which like a lot of people do and never succeed at, or you know, say they're doing and aren't doing it. Think it's irrelevant information. Yeah, doesn't doesn't change my answer. Which yeah. is, I think you can unburden yourself of that. Like, you don't have to do that, but you can.
0: And, you know, every once in a while you hear about, like, two couples break up because two of the parties cheated and then the other two who have been jilted end up getting together. And, you know, maybe that would be the the nice little button on this story as you meet somebody who really knows what you've gone through and you two fall whimsically in love. And I'm sorry. That's...
1: that's A lovely really, post.
0: That's really making light of something quite, quite painful that I'm sure. And so I'm sorry. I hope you don't end up no. getting together with this other person. I hope you do whatever you feel like you think at the end of the day, I feel good about this choice. Yes. Make that one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that is the advice columnist equivalent of like just buy low and sell high. Where I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever decision magically makes you feel good all the time. Just do that thing. Don't do things that make you feel bad. Do things that make you feel good.
1: Buy low, sell high.
0: Buy low, sell high. Uh, Incredibly nuanced, thoughtful, uh, professional-grade advice once again from Daniel M. Lavery. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me this week.
1: Thanks for having me. It was awesome.
0: It was fantastic. And I hope that uh, something pleasantly horrifying happens to you later today. (laughs) Just the right amount of horrifying, whatever that is. Thank you. But good. I hope so, too. This is not a threat in any way. I'm glad that you were on the podcast. I enjoyed our time together. I wish you well. I can't stress that enough.
1: Call me if you ever need a recommendation for some horror.
0: Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. You, you you played the market. It worked out. You followed a plan and that worked out. I, I don't know that you can say like luck and timing didn't have anything to do with it. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. go into the stock market with the plan buy low, sell high. And then it's it's not like a vending machine where you guarantee put in a dollar and get $50 out two months later. Like
1: Right. If it were, we would all have Paid off a mortgage.
0: Yeah, then just everybody would do exactly what you do and it would always work out. So like, yeah, you you made calls that worked out. They panned out. You made the good decisions. Luck and timing was also a factor. And I think it will help to acknowledge that rather than simply everyone else is a moron and should have just followed my exact plan and we'd all be billionaires. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash PrudyPod.